0: So it is interesting that you, you walk into one door, presuming that you may stay in one room of the house. But once you get inside the house, I, you know, you, you wander around and you realize, oh, there's some things in these other rooms that I should probably take a look at. And, you know, if I can make those better along the way, then I should probably make investments there too. The Core 12, it gives you a really good lens to see those other opportunities where you can create one plus one equals three outcomes. Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium debut
1: podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with legal operations and technology thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarron. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix Legal Operations and Technology team. On today's episode, I'm joined by a few of my esteemed board members and Legal Ops leaders, Mary O'Carroll, board president and head of Legal Ops at Google, Jason Barnwell of Microsoft and Mike Haven of Intel. We'll be talking about CLOCK's new Core 12 Legal Operations Framework. We'll cover what it is, why this is important for you, and tell you a few stories of how we've used the framework past to present. Jason Mike, Mary, hello. Welcome to our first podcast.
2: Hi. Thank you. Hello.
1: So we're talking about the CLOCK Core 12, which we published to our website, CLOCK.org, and to our social media channels back in April. But what exactly is it? The Core 12 is a clear framework for practicing legal operations. Broken out into 12 sections or cores, it defines the functional areas that we and our members have found most legal operations teams oversee. While every company and team has its own unique needs, the guidance in these functional areas applies to many environments and requirements. In alphabetical order, they are, number one, business intelligence, number two, financial management, number three, firm and vendor management, four, information governance, five, knowledge management, Six, org optimization and health. Seven, practice operations. Eight, project or program management. Nine, service delivery models. 10, strategic planning. 11, technology. And 12, training and development. So I'd like to open this up with the classic question, why does this matter to our members, to our audience? And Jason, I'd love to kick it to you. Why does the Clock Core 12 matter?
0: At a fundamental level, operations requires both tactics and strategy to deliver success to our businesses. And we need a way to build a strategy for the work that we're going to do to create value for our organizations. And the Core 12 helps us do that.
1: Mike Haven, let's spin over to you. Tell me why you think this matters, why the Core 12 matters to you and to our audience.
3: Yeah, what Jason said, and I'll build on it a little bit, as legal operations has become ubiquitous over the past decade or so, it's evolved and expanded dramatically in scope. Early on, when CFOs finally began to pay attention to legal spend, the role was primarily focused on achieving savings, financial savings. But it's so much more than that now. The role Involves many disciplines, as you just listed, and and for that reason, it can be a challenge to put it all into perspective. And it can be overwhelming when trying to prioritize. So the Core 12 is designed to help legal ops pros focus on how they can help their departments, help the businesses they serve. And one key point to emphasize here is that the role does not have to encompass the full scope of the Core 12. For some it may, but for some it probably does not. And it's important to understand your organization and align with all department leaders on the specific areas that legal ops should focus for your department.
1: That's a really good call out, Mike, that it's not prescriptive and it's not 12 headcount you come out the gate with and, and hire against and execute against all, that it's really adaptable and malleable to the needs of the company and the org. Mary, how about for you? Why does the Core 12 matter?
2: Yeah, I think the core 12 is super important because it really answers one of the biggest questions that we get over and over and over, which is the classic, what is legal operations? That's what we're asked all the time. And that's what I think the core 12 really gets at. We get asked, what can legal ops do for my legal department? What does the function encompass? And this is the first thing that we now point people to when trying to answer those questions. So Mary, I'm going to take this next
1: question to you. This is really version 2.0, I believe, of a competency or a
2: core wheel. How did these cores come to be? Yeah, absolutely. When CLOCK first started, when it was in its infancy, we really didn't know how to define the role of legal operations, right? In the beginning, if you asked 10 people who were doing the role of legal ops, you often found them defining it in different ways. So we created the original wheel, which we referred to as the CLOCK core competencies as sort of the first iteration of this is what we think fits within the role of legal operations. It's really the functions that sit within a legal operations department. And kind of as time went on and the role grew more and became more mature, you know, now I think in large part due to clock in the core competencies, when you ask people what legal ops is, you get much more of a standardized definition of that. And as we started to see over time, we would ask people, you know, what functions or what falls within your scope of role. And that kept growing over the years. Many more things started falling into the role of legal operations. So we wanted to make sure that we stayed up to date. So we updated the original, what was called the core competencies, and changed the name to the Clock Core 12 to reflect the increased scope and the priorities that are really part of the legal operations professionals' jobs today. And it's important to note we changed the name from core competencies to the clock core 12, because it's not really about the skill set or the strengths that you need to bring to be successful in this role. What we really wanted to define was kind of the function of the job, the scope of the role. So building on that, and as an example,
1: cross-functional alignment was one of the original core competencies. And I don't see that in the core 12 today. Why did we take cross-functional
2: alignment out? I think there were some things that felt more like skill sets and and that's kind of why again we pivoted on the title. We wanted this not to be about, you know, change management, influencing, cross-functional alignment, things that really are part of the the strengths or the skills that you want a professional to have in this role. It was really about again the scope and the functional areas. And then also in our original
1: core competencies wheel, we had overlaid onto those competencies a reference to maturity level we had mature we had foundational we had advanced level and that could lead you know an analytical mind to start aligning that with the competencies nearby why did we remove the maturity levels
2: yeah well you know it's such a broad range of things that fall within our functional areas and we had originally the old clock core competencies had it listed as these are the things you should start with. If you're starting out in legal ops, these are the next parts. And then when you're totally mature, go after these functional areas. And what we realized is that different organizations are going to start in different places. So we've now listed it alphabetically. It doesn't really matter where you start. I mean, it matters within your organization, but there is no prescriptive place that you have to start with legal ops. And within each of those clock core 12 areas, there is going to be a maturity for your organization. You're going to be, you know, beginning at, in some of them, you're going to be mature on others. But again, we didn't want to define it as a place that you have to start and or to do it in order.
1: It's sort of a choose your own adventure. And again, back to an earlier point, this, I think Mike made, this is very adaptable and customizable to the environment you walk into the business needs and priorities of the day. And, give you a tool set to ground this thing and really and get going. Another notable difference, I think one of the newer areas we've created is practice operations. And for me, that was really exciting to see. You're walking into legal departments that are mid or large size. I haven't had maybe a dedicated legal ops function yet. So you may have some practice ops in place already in the privacy team, perhaps, or a litigation area. Whereas in others, it may be a green field. When I walked into Spotify, for example, there wasn't a formalized contract operations function. And so I think this practice ops core here kind of gives us that license to assess in gap fill where are there operational needs and could the legal ops function help seed that, grow, advance that function to maturity. I'm wondering if Jason or Mike have an example as well of practice operations and in
0: use. So we have operations teams that support many of our practice groups. So we have a federated model and that represents the reality of, of what a modern legal department looks like it is likely the case that in many instances, operational excellence started off in a litigation team. Because in many instances uh, at organizations, that was where the largest spend was. But as we've started to see the rise and importance of other practice groups and really the need for them to operate at scale, we have seen robust operations groups show up in our intellectual property team. I would say that we have very strong operational support in our uh, HR, legal, and immigration team. But, and this is really a function of the complexity and scale of those businesses increasing. And what they're doing is they're adapting to those business necessities by applying operational capability. And so that is just the reality of what is happening on the ground. And so I think that in this instance, the renaming of this element is very reflective of what we're seeing in our organizations as you see the capabilities start to fan out and address the needs where you find them because you just can't continue practicing at the scale, speed, and complexity that's required using those those old approaches. And so that's where we're seeing a lot of smart investments happen. And so that's why I, I was delighted to see that change because I think it, it just better reflects the reality of what is.
1: Thank you, Jason. Another new area in the core twelve is one of my faves project and program management. Mike or Mary, can either of you speak to some of our thinking behind turning this into a core?
3: I think like so many of the skill sets inherent in the Core 12, project management and program management is something that encompasses pretty much everything we do. But we are change agents and we are constantly looking to improve the business of law within our departments, and that entails project and program management day in and day out. So that, that's an obvious one to me, and it, it's something that you know has been important from day one. But if I could go back real quick and make a, a further point to Mary's comment about skill sets and removing communications and cross-functional alignment, because I think this is important, That made a lot of sense to me because those things have to be there no matter what area you are focused on. And this doesn't mean the fact that that we remove them doesn't mean they are not important. Of course, they are critically important, but you don't come into an organization and say, okay, I'm going to rock cross-functional alignment or I'm going to focus on communication without having something tangible to align on and communicate. And I think that's the point. You know, the core 12 are the tangible areas of focus for legal ops pros to consider as priorities. And with respect to the uh, former sequential nature of the competencies in version 1.0, for many departments, that made a ton of sense as well, but not all. So some of our listeners may recall a presentation Steve Harmon and I gave at the Vegas, London, and Sydney Institutes back in 2017 and 2018, where we discussed how to get a legal ops program off the ground. And in that session, I advocated starting with the foundational elements of the old model, financial management and vendor management, and explained how that had worked in my experience. But Steve famously disagreed. He strongly advocated for starting with knowledge management because that is what had worked for him. And we had a lively debate on the subject, and people really enjoyed that debate. And the reality was that we were both right. While the sequential guidance from the old model was helpful to me and many others, it was not a silver bullet for everyone. And there's no one-size-fits-all approach to building an operations program. We wanted to convey in the new Core 12, there is no right answer to where you start, and that's why it's alphabetical now.
1: It's such a good point. And I really like you drawing out, first of all, differing opinions. There's no silver bullet. I had a very similar debate with a former board member while coming up with Francis Pomposo and I coming up with a strategic planning deck for Clock Institute 2018. And again, no right or wrong answer. You're starting where your org is. I loved your point, Mike, uh, digging into project program management. This one's funny. It's sort of a double entendre. It is a skill set, right? Project management, program management, you can get certified in it. It's a skill many of us have. But what we really mean by putting it in this core 12 is consider having staffing your team with a project or program management function where you, it's almost like machine work. You can come to that professional or a group of professionals with any corporate-wide initiatives big ones, mergers and acquisitions. I know at Cisco, country enablement was a huge program management initiative. How do we carry Cisco into doing business locally on the ground with entities in in countries throughout the world? Uh, GDPR initiatives, CCPA initiatives, staffing, again, your team with those skill sets and a function that can execute with project management principles is what we're really getting at in this core 12. And that's the
3: key nuance, Jen, because even though project management overlaps pretty much everything, the the nuance between that and something like cross-functional alignment is you don't bring somebody in to be the cross-functional alignment person.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah. We were also really deliberate in calling out both project and program management. There are going to be those projects Within your department, where you just need someone to be a super strong project manager and execute it. You know what needs to be done. You know the deadline. Get it done from start to finish. Wrangle, you know, all the cross-functional parties, whatever it is that gets involved. Program management, in my view, is slightly different in that it's a little bit more strategic. It's a little bit more nebulous. So things like an M and A integration, a GDPR, sure. what we're dealing with right now, like COVID, you know own that response, own that program from start to finish. How do you deal with this new undefined program that needs to take place in some time And What are the steps that need to take place to, in order for that initiative to be successful? That is another area that I think is really key for us.
1: I completely agree. Let's talk about business intelligence. That's a new one. It's got a new name. I think before it was data reports and metrics. And Why did we
2: change it to business intelligence? Again, this was a really intentional change in the wording. This is not just about reporting the weather. It wasn't just about putting out dashboards and reports and metrics, but we really wanted to focus on the fact that we're trying to ensure that departments are using that data to make better decisions. So it goes beyond just kind of reporting things and creating a set of processes and methodologies but to transform that data into something truly meaningful and useful to deliver that to the leadership team to enable you to be asking the right questions, to enable strategic and tactical insights from those types of things. And just, again, focusing more on the decision-making enablement that business intelligence facilitates. Anything from Jason or Mike
0: on business intelligence? I think that is a really important pivot that Mary is highlighting right there. So we're often talking about elevating the practice of operations and getting people into the right mind space of what it is and what our highest best purpose is and how we create the most value. The words really do matter, and so I, I think you know that was a great kind of analogy. Like you're not reporting the weather, right? It is really the conscientious and intentional process of thinking about. What are the insights that really matter for the business decisions that are the most strategic for your organization? And thinking about how you will both harvest that information, how you will curate it, how you will filter it, how you will refine it, and then perhaps most importantly, how you use it to tell a story to influence decisions that are most important. And so that's something that I think is implicit in that change. And I think it's one of the really important elements that highlights how really that we are growing up as a profession and the elevated impact that we can have when we think about our work in the right frame.
1: Jason, your comments made me think of data reports metrics sounds very black and white. Sounds very here's a contract volume report of the month or of the quarter, more dry and and business intelligence is really it's technicolor. It's taking those insights formulating hypotheses, telling stories, and therein lies the intelligence, like what is behind, what is underneath, and informing our leadership with those insights. Well, good segue. And speaking of stories, I'd love to get into some stories of how we've all on the ground or in the weeds, use this Core 12 framework in getting started in each of our own roles, in our current roles, or in prior company roles. Mike, let me start with you. Where did you start? Could you tell us the story of where you started with the Core 12?
3: Sure, I've done it differently based on the stage of development and priorities uh, of the organization. So I'll kind of tell two different stories here and then tie them together. Um, when I started at Gap in 2016, my charge was to build a program essentially from scratch. And when I walked in the door, there was an e-billing system and an admin managing it, but it was not yet globally deployed and there was no formal legal operations program in place. My GC made it clear that the first priority was to get our financial house in order, and she was absolutely right. We had to improve processes around budgeting, forecasting, and financial transparency for our practice leaders, so that is where we started. But aside from that, and I think this is really important for any organization, We leveraged business intelligence early in our journey to add clarity and focus to the strategy. We performed legal spend assessment, running analytics on our historical spend to determine where we were and where we had opportunities to improve. And based on what we learned in that assessment, we quickly moved to vendor management. So, for example, when we measured our number of timekeepers per full-time employee, We realized that firms had been adding staff to our matters willy-nilly, and the PK per FTE ratio was far too high. Of course, that translates into inefficiency, so we created processes to fix that. Financial management and vendor management happened to be the first two elements of the old clock model in sequence. That made perfect sense and worked out nicely for me in that particular situation. But all along, we were informed by business intelligence. And so fast forward to my new role at Intel, I'm not building a program from scratch. I'm focused on leading a team that is well past the foundational stages in its organizational and functional maturity. To get the program where we want it to be, however, we will have to build a best-in-class analytics and metrics program. We will need the ability to measure current programs and processes and find opportunities to continuously improve. And right off the bat, we have to leverage the data we have, which will help us set other priorities and focus on what needs to be done in the months and years ahead. So business intelligence is a critical focus at the start of this journey, just like it was in my last role, even though the situations are quite different. You need to assess the program you're coming into and most importantly, understand the priorities of your general counsel. But regardless of where you are starting, I believe business intelligence is a critical area of focus.
1: That's great. Let's turn to Mary. Where did you start with the Core 12?
2: Yeah, interestingly, my journey kind of similarly focused on business intelligence. So when I started at Google, it was similar in that there was no legal ops function. It wasn't well-defined. You know, this was the early days of legal operations development. And when I met with my general counsel, if you've heard me speak before, I've told this story many times, but he basically said to me, I have one question. Are we getting good value out of the money we're spending with outside counsel? And that seemed like a pretty good question, a pretty obvious question, and someone in my role should be able to answer fairly quickly. And as I started asking around, I found out, well, we don't have reports. We don't have financial analyses. We don't have data at all. We didn't have a system to capture this data. So my journey to sort of answer the question that the ultimate goal was really business intelligence but focused on financial management, on vendor management and enabling technology to capture that data to make sure it was clean. We spent a lot of years focusing on answering that question. So, you know, none of this is very easy. I always say, you know, even though it's obvious, it's not easy. We had to start with really figuring out what we had, how many outside counsel we had, did we have agreements with them, Can we ask them to submit invoices and budgets and data in a standardized way? What's the data we want to collect? And so cleaning up that entire process, you know, as unsexy as that is, was really the core enabling us to then eventually having that intelligence, having those data at our fingertips in order to make the really good decisions and understand what was happening with the spend that we had with outside counsel. So that was the real kind of first area that we built on. You know, over time, we've expanded, of course, across uh, most of the core twelve of the wheel and you know, leveraged a lot of technology, moved into process improvement across the various practice groups and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think a lot of us who are building new departments really start with the money.
1: start with the money. Good one. It's so interesting. and there's such variation between each of our starting points. And I could just quickly interject when I walked into Spotify. It was a late-stage startup, pre-IPO company, and there was no contract management lifecycle. I think the system had gone in about 20 minutes before I walked through the door. and just needed a whole lot of love and process, enablement, management, the right level of practice ops around that area. To meet our, our immediate business goals, which in the following ensuing 18 months were let's take this company public and make sure we have all our I's dotted, all our T's crossed to be a healthy public company. So walked into a bit of a fire drill with that, took off. And it wasn't until maybe a quarter or so in, we were able to catch our breath and then go to the money. And then we turned to what was the total greenfield of outside counsel management e-billing processes, everything was being manually done by a a superstar paralegal in a spreadsheet. And so fertile for us, fertile for me to help uh, define that space, help drive new processes, bring in a solution and map and project manage and execute, and then hand it back to that paralegal and say, here you go. Here's our gift to you. Have fun, have at it, and let's continue the combo of how to how we keep structuring matters and getting good data in and getting good insights out of there. But yeah, completely different starting points. Let's turn to Jason and hear a story of where you used the Core 12 to get started. I'll, I'll get a
0: little bit of my story, but I do find it really interesting to examine the pattern that is coming out from our conversation, wherein there's almost always some type of constraint or need that triggers the organization to think this is worth investing in. And sometimes that is, (laughs) where's the money going? And like, what kind of value are we getting from it? Sometimes it's, we need to uh, improve our hygiene. Sometimes it's, this thing needs to go faster. But it's probably worth anybody who comes into our space to understand what is the constraint that the business you serve perceives, that if you can start working more effectively within that box, that's gonna be perceived as value. And again, that's where I think the core 12 gives you a really good framing device for the questions you should ask to help you diagnose for your organization. What is that thing that's gonna make people perceive, ah, this is a really good use of our resources, and this is why we should provide you with even more support get the things done because those align so well with what matters to us.
1: That's a great point. And I just have to use your point to reframe. When I walked into Netflix, the box I was given, Jason, was we want to work in a more productive and data-driven way. We think we need some of those core tech foundational solutions, things like document management and better contract management solutions. So I came in with that box. And then I poked around a bit in here and said, who's doing financial management? Found the function as we know it, happily living with our finance operations teams and through a series of conversations, assessments, looking at how our the current e-billing system was going, how payments were going. Fast forward a few months, I've staffed in that area, built out that legal ops pillar, closely partnered with finance ops. We're we're relieving them of some of the burden that was the administrative aspect of the e-billing system and the approvals and the payment flows. And we said, let us handle that. Apply our subject matter expertise. We love this stuff. We'll, We'll happily remap how invoices flow through approvers and back out to a payment system and get our firms paid on time. And it just sort of organically came to be. And I was given that free reign to go around, explore, and really use this Core 12 as as sort of a litmus test like what are we doing in each of these areas and then in our strategy and my team strategy decide which which ones we want to pick and choose and take on so the money came second again but it sure came
0: yeah that makes sense so my starting place is nominally in the vendor and firm management space but it's it's helpful to have a little bit of the context of where my role that brought me into operations came from so When I started working in ops, we already had a very mature legal operations function led by Lucy Basley. And we had a very mature and robust procurement motion that Tom Morrison's team had. And so when Microsoft decided that we wanted to rethink how we were going to engage with outside counsel to create more value from that engagement. That was really a new program that was designed to put a slightly different lens on how we do that and really think, okay, so we already have a fairly robust procurement motion, but what are the additional things that we could do on top of that, that would help us create stronger relationships, that would help us think about engaging, you know, being closer that would help us think about are there different ways that we can actually partner with our outside council to even buy the work? And so that created an entry point for Rebecca Benavidez and Mita to really come in and think what can we build on top of this fantastic foundation? And one of the things that I observe is that nominally it you know, it it looks like a firm and vendor management, you know, competency. And it is, but it builds on so many other elements. So to actually start going after the, the goal that was put in front of us, which is to create more value from our engagement in our relationships, we had to go invest in BI and get smarter at business intelligence. And so we cleaned up a lot of data. We created more robust dashboards. We have some, some superstars on our team, like Patty Worley, who they're just like magicians with some of our tools. But then we started going into other spaces and we started thinking about, all right, well, if we're going to make this work, for our practices, we also have to start thinking about what practice operations looks like. And so we started making some adjustments there. And then as we started thinking about how are we going to make this something that deploys at scale, that started to get into program management. And then we started thinking about, well, we need to understand if we're changing like one end of the pipeline, it probably starts to influence others. And so that starts getting into the service delivery model. And then as we wanted to really figure out like how do we make this a robust approach that will be long lived and that continuously realigns with the value as perceived by the senior leadership of the department that really got into strategic planning so it is interesting that you walk into one door presuming that you may stay in one room of the house but once you get inside the house you know you you wander around and you realize oh there's some things in these other rooms that I should probably take a look at. And you know, if I can make those better along the way and they end up being strong complements, then I should probably make investments there too. And again, that's where I think the core 12, it gives you a really good lens to see those other opportunities where you can create one plus one equals three outcomes. And when you deliver those. Typically, your leaders will continue to invest more in you and give you more space to bring more value back to the organization. And so that's why having that bigger frame has been really helpful for me because it helped me learn how to spot where I could go after opportunities that would bring value back to my core discipline, the thing I was responsible for, for delivering but would also allow me to bring value to other spaces, which has created more opportunities for me and for our team.
2: If I can just piggyback on that and give a little bit of advice to our listeners, you know, we've mentioned already two of the biggest questions we get asked at CLOCK over and over is, what is legal operations and where do I start? So the CLOCK Core 12 really aims to answer that first question, you know, what is it? Look at the CLOCK Core 12, that tells you and defines the role Where do I start? You've heard us talk about our stories. I think Jason really eloquently described that box, that constraint that you want to identify. Sit down with your general counsel, sit down with the leadership team as soon as you start and figure out what is important to them. What is keeping them up at night? And then more tactically, in terms of how can I use the core 12 to do that? One of the exercises we've done that I have found to be quite effective and useful is going through the core 12, figuring out how you would rate your own department. You know, Are you mature? Are you foundational on these 12 functional areas? And then the next column should be, how important is this to the leadership team? Maybe you're really strong in X, but that's not that important. Or maybe you're not that strong in X and it's not that important. It's the areas where you're not strong and it is very important to your leadership team. That's the gap. The biggest gap there is where you should start.
1: And those gaps, as you're identifying them, Mary, that There's your first strategy, walking into a new role, new legal ops function, or maybe an existing one you're taking over and leading or working as a part of. But that's exactly the formula that it sounds like we've all used. I've certainly used to create that 1.0 strategy coming out the gate. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. I'm Jen McCarron, your host. Thank you to Mary, Jason, and Mike for your thoughts today. Learn more about the Core 12 on our clock website, www.clock.org. You can also learn more by finding us on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Stay tuned because we have a lot of new, exciting content coming out. And you can catch this and future episodes of Clock Talk on all the major streaming services like Spotify, Apple, and Google. Thank you for listening.
0: Until next time.